Welcome to the Millennials Unpublished Podcast, where we talk about everything from gaps in the literature to gaps in society. Thank you for joining us for another episode. This is Jaslyn. And this is Darren. So thank you for tuning in last week, the week before that. We're keeping this going. It's feeling good. So just thank you for that. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening and sharing with friends and above all else, the feedback we've been getting. Um, it's really awesome. And that engagement is really, it's really starting to manifest. Yeah, the feedback really helps. And when I'm like, why are we doing this? Does this make any sense? Like hearing from everyone just makes me want to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just get into our check-in and check-up. So how are you doing, Jaslyn? How are things? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm better than last week. <laughs> Good. Good to hear. Um, and not even from like a productivity standpoint, like it's mm-hmm. it's all good and well that I got work done, but I think I'm like emotionally better. Um, I think it being sunny out and like I, I get to experience it via my window behind me. Uh, <laughs> that's been helping a lot. So yeah. How about you? Yeah, the weather's been really nice. It's been really, really good. And everything. And yeah, I like that you like talked about the productivity standpoint because for me sometimes I'm like my wellness is attached to my productivity, but that's not true. <laughs> so not at all. Yeah, good idea reframing. For me, how do I feel? Um, I feel like I'm trying to slow stuff down, you know, take stuff at a pace that feels good as the semester's nearing towards the end. So it's felt okay and stuff. A little bit of confusion, not being able to put out and feeling into words at times, which has been tough, especially when you're supposed to write papers and do different things my mind hasn't been completely on but you know it's okay it's it's all right it's okay you don't have to be completely on it's kind of unreasonable (laughs) (laughs) for anyone to have that expectation but at least you recognize that that's what's going on right right and literally like the birds are chirping i don't know if you can hear them but (laughs) loud they're happy they're full of joy (laughs) right (laughs) so Maybe with that, we should just get into our topic under review for this week. Sounds good. So this week, our topic under review is meaning making. Saucy? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this topic was actually inspired by a post on Instagram that my friend made um, and then a subsequent conversation that we had. So I think, I guess first, we should probably talk about what meaning-making is. Um, So meaning-making is essentially looking at some event, some situation, a conversation, anything like that, and trying to understand it. And meaning-making is an active process. It's an undertaking. Um, And when you undertake something, you commit yourself to it and to begin it. it's almost like a responsibility. Uh, and this, the conversation, I guess, was about how it's important to take the time to understand conflict situations, anything of that nature, instead of distracting yourself and sitting in the satisfaction that you get and the happiness that you get from that. Because when you distract yourself, you're diverting your attention. Um, in that way, meaning making 
when you look at it through maybe a negative lens could be seen as work and laborious, but on the other end of things, it could be constructive um, in, the, in a positive sense. How about you, Darren? How do you understand that? sounds like a very thorough definition. I got to go back to that. <laughs> I, I sat with it. I really sat with it. <laughs> it was in the solar plexus, in the soul space. <laughs> but for me, meaning making is just taking inventory. So for me, it's like literally going back into the closet. <laughs> so um, we came out a while back, but going back into the closet and seeing what's up, you know, what's there, you know, trying some stuff fun does it feel good still and like maybe organizing it a little bit to make sense of you know things that happened in the past and for me it helps to be able to situate experiences that I've had in just like a broader social context so just thinking back on things thinking about back on the world and seeing how everything lines up so my definition is you know a bit more simple but (laughs) that's what I understand it to be yeah well in your definition I think you hit on um So meaning making is a process and every process has a result. And so if you have a successful meaning making process, you become more cognizant. And when you're more cognizant, it's you're, you know, something intellectually and intimately via your personal experience. And this is, comes through that process of undertaking the challenge of looking at those experiences, like Darren was saying, um, Mm. On the other hand, if you decide not to maybe reflect back, think back, think through it, um, the result is that you'd be unaware of the impact of the experiences in your life and how they maybe shape you or maybe just your natural predisposition or responses to what's going on around and within you. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's also important, at least for me, to take time for it. So a lot of times it's on my my Sundays, my super soul Sundays, you know, shout out to Oprah, <laughs> ongoing theme. But really, I think a lot of times before I go to sleep, even on the day to day at times, giving myself like a good 10 to 15 minutes to just think back through what happened, like situations, and really sort of giving myself space to analyze and see if it sits right. I don't know a better way to say it. If it sits right with me, and then if it doesn't, instead of checking out, you know, checking in and saying like, okay, well, let's go in and figure out what it is about this that's not sitting right with my spirit. <laughs> and give yeah. My- yeah. Yeah, you hit on something really important that it can be done on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual um, schedule. Like it's something that when you see the need for it, and that's something that we'll kind of get into in a bit, um, you can do it. And it's something that you you do need to take time for. Again, like I was saying, it's an active, it's an active process. Um, so with that, I guess we can kind of talk about how it benefits you. I think a lot of the times we talk about things that we should do, but we don't really yeah. sit in what the benefits are to you. Um, and... I guess the main benefit is that it is for you and it's only for you. It's not something you do for other people or other people's sake. It's work that you do for yourself. But in doing that work, uh, that meaning making work, you can see the benefits and they can extend into your interpersonal relationships um, and how you navigate life. Um, And then I don't know if Darren, you want to contribute to that before I get into a little bit deeper about what the benefits we we go to deep we go (laughs) we're we're, we're diving in (laughs) um i was just gonna say i think 
that you were hitting on the point that like it's something you can do for yourself. But I also think too that in doing it for yourself, you might be able to build a resonance um, with other people. So if you're able to make sense of something that you may have experienced, maybe other people will be able to make sense of it in themselves. So I kind of mentioned that um, meaning making can sort of dictate how you navigate life. And one way you can do that is by changing your core values or the plans that you have for your life. But also on the other hand, it can reinforce the values and the plans that you have in place, or it can sort of bolster the ones that you may have been wavering on. I don't know if you have anything to say about that or other benefits. Yeah, not not too much specifically on that, but it, I would agree it sounds like it, it's this opportunity to figure out how you're navigating. Yeah, I mean, I also just think in terms of a benefit, it's just a really good practice to build into your self-care routine. So just having it being something that you do weekly or even on the daily, I think just helps out a lot. Definitely. Um, and it being a skill, sometimes you need help starting it, building it, mm. that kind of thing. And I know for me, I definitely got started with like mindful meaning making through therapy. Gotcha. Um and so I saw therapy as a way for me to refine that skill, uh, but also to recognize the situations and the times that call for meaning making versus mm -hmm. reaching in for a coping mechanism or a simple explanation. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, just, just, I guess, echoing that back, I, it makes me think about two times that I've sort of reached out for therapy for the same thing, just kind of having a space that's safe to be able to, again, navigate and really think through things without, you know, putting too much pressure on yourself to be right or policing the thoughts that you're having and saying these are wrong. Yeah. Rather just investigating um, and exploring them. Yeah. Um, I know for me, I needed to do that for my interpersonal relationships. Um, and going to therapy and working on meaning making helped me understand um, both my role and others' roles in terms of the distress, anxiety, and conflict I face in that realm of life. Gotcha. So it's, I definitely echo what you said. Yeah. So I think something that it's also super helpful for, for me is just building up a bit of this ability to be reflexive. So building the muscle of that. So when something happens, instead of spending a whole bunch of mental energy, um, getting mad at myself for it happening or, you know, lashing out, and like internalizing a bit. Instead, I sort of built up the practice of being able to just say, okay, I'm gonna set aside time later and I'm going to make meaning out of this and I'm not gonna have it cloud my headspace like in the classroom when I need to be taking notes or like at the gym yeah. or something. It just, it, it's helped me out a lot in that regard. Yeah, you can be present in the moment and not necessarily, not necessarily move past the situation that you want to make meaning out of, but you can know, you know that I'm going to take time later to sort through this, to understand it, to unpack it, but I can go through the rest of my day without having this cloud over me. Yeah, that harboring sense? that. Yeah, harboring. Yeah, harboring, exactly. In the air. It's exactly. indigestion. It's not good for you. <laughs> it sits heavy on your shoulders. It's a burden. It does. It's a burden. <laughs> um, so I guess I wanted to talk about the biggest takeaways um, from therapy that I got in service of meaning making. Gotcha. Uh, and I think they all kind of feed out from the main one of that 
I, as a person and just about everybody else is egocentric. Um, <laughs> and so with that, <laughs> you can think, that. <laughs> I mean, Hey, you can, we can talk about it, but you know, when with that comes an egocentric interpretation of the world, but in yeah. reality, not everything is about you, you know, yeah. like <laughs> not everything is about you. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I got from therapy for my meaning making. And so at the same time, when you know that about yourself and other people, you recognize that other people are just as egocentric, but like getting out of that mindset is something that's effortful and conscious. So just because in passing, I know that other people are egocentric. So I should look at my interactions and conversations and their interactions with me in that light doesn't mean that. I automatically just like, oh, like someone said this to me. It's not about me. It's about them. No, I, I need to put effort into it and be <laughs> conscious. And that's where that that time away you mentioned, that's when that time like really serves that for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So wait, so are you saying like basically in being able to do that because we are all egocentric people, I roll my eyes as I say that because I'm like, I'm not, but then maybe that's because I'm internalizing it. <laughs> You just made it about you right now. I did, you know. <laughs> go ahead, go but ahead. I guess my question to make sense of what you were saying was, are you saying that people are too, like, egocentric, so they think that everything's about them? Or are you saying that people are too egocentric and they are making things about other people? Because my thoughts on that was that sometimes meaning-making meaning making allows me to situate certain experiences in like a broader social context. So instead of internalizing it and being like, oh my gosh, like this is all about me, I can sort of externalize it and look at it. And maybe it is about me after that, but also maybe it's about something bigger or about someone else. So I just yeah. didn't know if I was completely like, like no, no, in line. No, I, okay. Yeah. So it's the latter. Um, gotcha. I, for me, t- therapy kind of taught me, it's like, okay, first and foremost, the way you're processing the world is through your eyes, through your view, through your self-interest, uh, you make it all about yourself. And so really? understanding that is important for you to then understand, like, if I can see it in myself, I can more easily see it in other people. That's what I sort of got from that. And in understanding that other Mm -hmm. people are egocentric, um, I I know that I shouldn't take things personally, because that's not productive. Instead, I need to understand that people unilaterally make decisions. Like, people can care or not care about you, whatever the case may be, but when people make decisions, they make them for themselves. Uh, I can't control what anyone says or does. What I do have control over is how I process it and what I take from it and what I let sit with me and I, I carry on to my next interaction or my, my next task in the day. Um, I think that's sort of the chain of thought that came from understanding that I myself am an egocentric person um, and it kind of you know goes from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have too much to say after that. You kind of dropped the mic on that one. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it, it makes me think a lot about like Eckhart Tolle. You know, I love Eckhart Tolle and Oprah. Mm-hmm. Um, they had this beautiful conversation about, I believe, uh, his book, The Power of Now, where they talked about the ego as like this collection and identification of like past experiences that you've had, yeah. or, like who you think you might be. Rather you shared than, that episode with me. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, a lot of times, like, those are just, like, constructions of thoughts, you know? 
Like, mm-hmm. I'm not that type of person. How dare they do that to me, you know? <laughs> like, if yeah. someone runs across you on the street, you know, you, you make it about yourself. You're like, how dare they do this to me? They don't know about them. But in reality, it could really just be that they had somewhere. It might not be about you. <laughs> yeah, they had somewhere to go, <laughs> you know? But yeah. that ego comes in and that ego makes a situation about you rather than allowing you to see that situation as someone who just needs to get, you know, that they're tacos yeah. on Tuesday, their Tuesday tacos. Exactly. That is a situation that's occurring outside yeah. of yourself. You just happen to be a bystander or another interlocutor. Like it's just, yeah. you're just a part, but it's not, it's not about you. Um, but then, yeah. But then too, like it also gives you this opportunity as well to like see maybe if it does have to do with some broader system. So for example, I found well, I don't know if like this is the best example, but I have found that sometimes people just take more space up on the street. A lot of people say men take more space up on the street, <laughs> you know? So maybe there is like some sort of a gendered aspect of like people taking up space in public that might be playing into that conversation, you know? So why that frustration, you know, might to a certain extent be about like how you're processing it and how you see it. It also could harken to just like broader societal themes, um, exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. and that's where <laughs> that's where that meaning making comes from, where it's like, so you I, let's say in this situation, you're taking up space in the street. And, <laughs> <laughs> and but like for me, I could take it personally or I can understand it just the way you said it, where maybe you might be socialized to take up more space. And it's not about the fact that you don't think that I necessarily deserve to have space. Yeah, it, it's just it's something outside of me. Um, And I think that hits something else of the fact that we're all doing the best we can with the tools that we're equipped with in any given Mm -hmm. situation. Um, And I think the best way to really address that is to have a separate conversation about boundaries. But because, because when you have that time for meaning making, you understand, yes, it's other people and it's also you, but you also figure out ways in which to like minimize the impact of future situations where you might feel challenged or hurt or need to make that time. Like you might be able to cut the middleman out completely. And I think that's where boundaries come into play. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. I haven't given too much thought to boundaries and stuff and how they work into that, but I think that point just sort of stands on its own. We could talk about it another time. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know, you know. Um, go into our DM, slide in. You know, we're going to have some, like, little posts where you can type answers. So interact. Let us know if it's something you're interested in hearing about. I yeah. did want to sort of talk about meaning-making in the context of some high school and middle school experiences I was having. Um, we talked about that last week, so I didn't know if I should get into that. I don't know if you're ready for that. Take us back. Take us back in time again. Okay. So I actually was working on a paper for class and this like came up. It was a great class, but I was thinking back to when I was about seven or eight in elementary school. And I remember this very vividly. (laughs) So I was sitting in like the back of the classroom and the teacher was putting transparencies onto the projector. Do you remember transparencies? Yes. (laughs) When you'd actually accidentally use like a a permanent marker. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. And it would tell on them for the days to come. Yeah. Tragedy. <laughs> but I believe it was like Black History Month or something. And we were discussing, of course, you know, all the themes within the canon of Black History slavery. You know, that's what we were, <laughs> so we were talking about. And I just remember this moment where my teacher was putting the slides 
um, or like the transparencies on the projector with images of like black enslaved people. I don't like saying black slaves. I think it's a bit dehumanizing there are black enslaved people. Um, and I remember just being a bit horrified because I was very young and I wasn't used to this sort of imagery. I knew it happened, but I wasn't used to it. So I remember just sitting there and being like, why are there these people in chains, you know, picking stuff out of the ground? You know, why are there these like white men on horses with rifles pointed at them? Like, yeah. I could not make meaning in that situation. <laughs> I did, <laughs> did not make sense to me. And then they had Black people sitting outside of, like, what looked like huts with, like, scraps of food on the ground. And I remember um, what, what was interesting that happened was that a lot of, like, my white classmates started to turn around and look at me. And, they, oh. yeah, and there was just this <laughs> bit of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, there was just, like, I felt their eyes on me. And then I, I had to try to be, like, why why are you looking at me like it doesn't make sense and then in my mind i was like oh you were associating me with those people on the screen because those people look like me and it built that association and i think that built in me a large fear of being seen in a certain lens you know and i felt that in my stomach it felt like my intestines had tied themselves into a knot <laughs> um and it just it didn't sit right with me so that's an experience i remember that was i guess particularly salient, but I also just had a lot of other little experiences after that. So in middle school and high school, I had a lot of those different times where someone would say something to me, they would call me like an Oreo. Have you, you, you know, an Oreo? Yes, I've been called an Oreo. Yeah. <laughs> America's favorite should we, snack. Should we, define, should we define what an Oreo is? Yeah, though? so an Oreo is typically a term used to describe like someone who is black on the outside and putting up air quotes, you can't see them, but white on the inside. You know, so I was, I was basically a snack, you know, but. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, but in those moments, I returned to that space where I felt that tightening, you know, in my stomach. Or like when I have someone be like, oh, you sound like a woman or you talk so gay. You know, I felt like uh, people were looking at me. I felt their eyes on me and I had that, that tightening in my gut where I'm like, oh no, what's happening? Um, and at the time, I didn't really know what it was. I just felt kind of nervous and bad. But then my meaning making, you know, after however many, how old am I? 20, 24? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. What, what is time right now? But coming back mm -hmm. to like the present day and looking back, I can really start to understand some things that were at play and like situate that within like a broader social context. So I did have like a couple of points I wanted to make. Like I didn't want to get too sort of like in the nitty gritty. But some of those experiences people have termed microaggressions which is a term used for brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, environmental indignities. Um, so I pulled this from, of all places, Wikipedia, but the definition... Oh, was, <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> the definition was in the work of Daryl Sue, um, a counseling psychologist, and the term was coined by a psychiatrist, a black, a black <laughs> psychiatrist who studied at Harvard, um, or was a professor at Harvard, Professor Chester M. Pierce, and it was, this is something I learned. It was particularly for these like racial moments. I thought the term was for everything. So any identity. So like maybe if it were like something LGBTQ or something else, but it's, it was uh, coined in the, in the context of these racial moments between blacks and non-blacks. Um, that's a really interesting fact about the term. And I think it's kind of a signature of this time we live in where a term is used and then it gets used in another context and that gets lost in translation, it's orig origination and what it was for. Um, so it's always great to hear about, I don't know, like 
what is it? Is it the ontology? What's the word? I don't even oh, know what the word child, is. You know. Where like, where the word <laughs> where the word originated. Etymology? I don't know. Possibly. Somebody tell um, us in our, on our Instagram. Write it, write it in there. <laughs> you will send them a prize. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's always great to hear about the roots of a word where it came from, who it came from, what it was intended for, and how its popularization has kind of transformed it into uh, an all-encompassing, like, catch-all sort of a a term. Yeah, we love crediting a Black intellectual. (laughs) We love it. Um, But yeah, I had a lot of these microaggressive moments, and that feeling that I had when I was younger... um, Wait, you had or you experienced... (laughs) Oh, I, I experienced a lot of those different moments. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't doing it to other people now. I experienced them. I, I just didn't want you to put yourself out there like that. Oh, no. Yeah. But it created this sense of, like, stereotype threatened me another time. So it's, this is the fear of being perceived in light of a stereotype. It can exist for a variety of things, but also be particular to stereotypes about racial identity or other identities like sexual orientation. And this one, I had to do a little bit of typing for this. But this was from Claude Steele, a social psychologist. Um, uh, the article stereotyping and its threat are real. So I just bring those things up just to look at them as a bit of framework. So I think in those moments, someone's like, hey, dude, you sound gay. And like <laughs> younger me is and they like, said it just like that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly like that. Like younger me is tight. Like my intestines hurt. I'm like getting sweaty. I'm having an anxiety response. It's not just nervousness. I get super anxious. And I remember like one of the first times, like maybe in that classroom where I felt their eyes on me. But now looking back, instead of internalizing that and being like, oh, you were just a super sensitive, like, I don't know, hormonal tween, like, I can look back and say, like, oh, that was a microaggression. Like, oh, you know, maybe there's some stereotype th- threat there. Maybe I didn't want to be seen as, like, the gay kid, or I didn't want to be seen as, like, the Black kid who was too Black or, or you know, too white, in air quotes. So I don't know if that that resonates with you at all. Absolutely. Uh, I also <laughs> was called an Oreo. Um, a snack. And it was one of those things where even if you didn't realize you were thinking about it, yes, a snack, but no, that's not what they meant. They didn't think I was a snack. Um, you don't realize how internalizing those comments, how that sort of shapes your view on yourself yeah. and then how you express yourself. Yeah. Um, you may be implicitly changing how you communicate with people at school because you know that people don't think that you're like internally black enough. Um, Or maybe you might double down and you might start acting differently and be more quote unquote white, whatever it is that means. Um, So it's, it's great now being older and being able to look back and recognize the event maybe the immediate response and then what later meaning making did in service of ameliorating some of that stereotype threat. Right. True. Ooh, you threw out that big word, that SAT. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I don't even know if I have much else to say. I disagree with you. And I think I've heard a lot of people using the term like identity negotiation. So like, Mm. in those moments you shouldn't have to negotiate your identity and a lot of people use the term code switching like you shouldn't have to change how you are or your default self in order to to be normal like it should have just been okay for me to be you know to talk however I wanted to or act however I wanted to without being policed by the kids Um, yeah so yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. And I think something that we'll probably get into in another episode, um, we can talk about how code switching should be a voluntary process, should be a voluntary mechanism. Um, and I know this is just up your alley. <laughs> this is up your alley, but you kind of you kind of took us there. So I, I thought I'd mention that. Yeah, I agree with that. See, I would. This is going to be the next conversation because I'm like, should it even be voluntary? Should people have to do it? You know. <laughs> but yeah, we will save that for for a later episode. Maybe that conversation. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe we should just bring it home. Um, gotcha. And maybe talk about meaning making during this time of coronavirus. Um, yeah. We've talked about it before, but this is like a time of unprecedented change. Um, and people are experiencing a lot of insecurity where it might be job insecurity, food insecurity, um, a loss of immediate physical present social support. Um or coping mechanisms, anything like that. I think this could be a time for reflection about the satisfaction that you had with those previous facets of your life. Um, So I really encourage people to lean into those thoughts if you feel prepared to do that work. Cause like, you know, like I said before, (laughs) it's an undertaking. You commit yourself to doing this process and then, making it to this promised land of being more cognizant. So I, in this time where we're kind of forced to think about our past selves and our past lives in the context of where we are right now, um, it's just something that, you know, might be worth, might be worth taking on. Yeah. Um, as I always say, seconding and thirding all of that. <laughs> like an ongoing, like, uh, what is it called when the joke is between two people? I can't think words. An inside joke? Yeah, it's an inside joke. <laughs> and we're inside. Oh, my God, look at that. <laughs> Double entendre. I'm, like, literally, like, forgetting my point now that we're, like, going off. But I think I was just going to say that I agree, for one. And I think I was just going to say that... I'm forgetting what I was going to say. Let's just keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, like, this is the time where you can do some active meeting making just separate from outside influences. Uh, Being isolated, it gives you this unique opportunity to, like, sit deep down inside of yourself and reflect and process and maybe kind of put some things into place for when the world picks up in the ways that we knew it to to sort of function as. Yeah, I think my point, like, slowly is returning to me. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, if if you want to, if you choose to, I think the words that were coming to mind were, like, sitting with it. So when it comes up, instead of running away from it, you know, sitting with it, what would it feel like to literally sit there and allow the feeling to bubble up and to look at it and to try to make some sort of sense of it? Because I know for me, that's really hard. I always want to, you know, turn on the TV or call someone or do something else. But what is it like to just like sit with it, have the feelings, have the thoughts and then go into them, you know, rather than going out? Yeah, and sitting with it is like a perfect way to sort of capture that experience because sometimes it can be uncomfortable and uncomfortable in ways that you could never have imagined before you started. Yes. 
Um, so sitting with it for me kind of denotes like sticking with it yeah. and like seeing it through, um, knowing that there's going to be that benefit to your person. Yeah. So agree with that. Maybe we should get into our word on the street for this week. Yeah, I think that was a good conversation. Let's, let's move on. So this week for Word on the Street, what are we going to get into, Jaslyn? So this week, I thought it'd be interesting if we kind of talked about how we're re-experiencing tradition and formalities or formal engagements. Um, for okay. me, um, this week, I saw my first virtual dissertation defense. Ah. Um, and I think I mentioned it to you, but it was just the strangest experience to see the culmination of someone's five, six, seven years of work towards this degree <laughs> Wild. come to the culmination of a virtual over Zoom dissertation defense. And, you know, the, the, like the PI read all the formal proceedings that happen. Right. And then th- like they just jumped into it. And it was just so weird because something that has so much weight, it still had the same weight and like it ended in the same result as an in-person defense would have. It was just so weird that I was watching it happen over Zoom. Yeah. It just, it blew my mind. I think that's, that's really weird. And it's, it just makes me think about how a lot of these things are fluid though. Like, you know, like we have ceremonial practices and traditions, but they're fluid, you know, they can Mm -hmm. change when they need to. (laughs) So they just make me think about the fact that like, you know, we don't always have to do things the same way. We can like switch it up and made me think of something else too, but I didn't know if you had anything else to say about that before. No, no, take it away. Take it away. When you said formal engagement, it literally made me think about like my run today. And uh, I was running on like this Google path. People don't know Philly, but there's basically this one path and people are writing in chalk on it. And it was like, I forgot the person's name, but it was like, I love your smile. I love cuddling Mm -hmm. next to you. I love like our late night conversations. And then it kept going on. And it literally at the end was like, will you quarantine with me forever? So it's like, it was literally like an engagement. proposal yeah so I was like that is so kind of cute and it's just nice reimagining and being able to see how such like a moment that's I guess big for a lot of people if you want to get married like can be shifted and it can happen during a quarantine and then I saw someone walking out of like the museum with like uh in a suit and then someone in like a white dress I assume they got married so I don't know I guess love is in the air as well (laughs) I don't know apparently it got warm out and everyone just started catching feelings and (laughs) that was actually really cute that was heartwarming um yeah yeah that was that was great. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> love, love to see it. We love to see it always. <laughs> All right, so I mean, I think we just had another episode. Um, um, that was shocking. Yeah. Out. <laughs> no. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Millennials Unpublished. Tune in each week as we all figure out life together. Yes, let's collectively figure out life together. Please continue to rate, subscribe, write reviews, and share the podcast. One, I guess, housekeeping thing is that I believe you can rate on Apple Podcasts, but you can't rate on Spotify. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us, you know, 
a rating that reflects how we're doing. Five you know, stars. Mosey no, on over to <laughs> no. Apple Podcasts. Drop your <laughs> your rating and review over there. We appreciate you. Right. Um, and again, if you like what you're hearing, please shout us out on Instagram at Millennials Unpublished. That is with two N's and two L's. And then for me, I'm at Darren27. And I'm at Jaunty Jazz. Thank you all for listening. Join us next week for another yeah. episode. Bye. Toodles.